today if you'd turn to Luke chapter 16, and I want to remind those of you who are visiting with us uh, in this church, uh, not only do we not teach about money very frequently, we only teach about money uh, when it comes up in Scripture, and that is what we have before us today. And it is an important subject, and let me tell you why. Very often in the church, people have been abused, they have been uh, absolutely cajoled and spoken to absolutely untruthfully from a lot of pulpits in America. And so if this is your first time here, if you're especially if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, the, the giving that we do before the Lord is an act of worship for us who believe Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and has paid for our sins. So this message in that context is not meant to cause anybody to be stimulated to do anything other than to hear the word of the Lord. But we also shall not skip this passage and go, well, it talks about money, because it's uncomfortable for pastors. It, it makes those of us who are in ministry uh, very uncomfortable at times to even speak about such things, because obviously... Uh, for those of us who derive our income from the ministry, it seems as though it's self-seeking. Uh, can I just put that to rest for you this morning? It's not only not self-seeking, it is to your benefit to understand the principles in this passage. Uh, it's not to mine or to this church, it's to yours. And very specifically, uh, it shows where our heart's at with regard to the deep things. Because there's a lot of things people will give towards the Lord. They'll give of time and talents rather freely as a general rule. But when it gets to money, mm, we got a little tighter grip on that than we do on our time. So uh, I want to just encourage you to see this the way Jesus intended it. I want to also draw your attention that this is not an isolated story that Jesus is telling. When he began in chapter 14 to speak to this group, who had gathered together on a Sabbath, he is still doing that. So he has spent a lot of time illustrating all kinds of things that are issues of the heart. Amen? Where are we with the Lord? We're going to see another one next week. So don't dismiss this as, a, as an arbitrary, you know, well, it's just you know something that somebody stuck in there about money. No, Jesus understood very clearly that where your heart is, uh, there is your treasure, and where your treasure is, there your heart is. Both are true. So you, you have to see this the way Jesus intended it. So today, the love of money. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for your people, God, who graciously have come to hear your words and pray that you would just simply speak to us this morning on this very important subject. Lord, it binds many. It causes many to not... Uh, have the ability really to even walk with you because they're so given over uh, to this one subject. Pray that you would help us to understand and know what it is that you intended to communicate as you spoke to your disciples. We give the time to you and pray that you'd bless us. Lord, teach us this morning by the power of your word, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Luke 16, and he also said to his disciples, and so he now, again, remember, he's kind of bouncing back and forth between the disciples and the crowd. We've seen that frequently in the last couple of chapters. We're going to see it here in chapter 16. It will continue into chapter 17. And so he's bouncing back and forth. It seems as though he's directing his, his messages 
in earshot of everybody, but very specifically to groups of people. So it's very clear he's talking to Christians here, people who know him, people who are concerned about living a life. Remember, discipleship, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that we are to follow him. We get our leading from him, our direction from him. That's who we are as Christians. So he's speaking to that group of people. That's why I prefaced this morning's message with, this is for the body of Christ. There's no way intended to twist or manipulate. It gives some very wonderful principles that are great for us as the body of Christ. And so he begins with a story. And this story seems a little bit strange at first until you get what Jesus is trying to do. He's drawing attention to the condition of our heart. Because remember... Unless one picks up his cross and follows Jesus, he can't be his disciple. Everything must be in his control. Lordship isn't just 60% of your life. It's not 72% of your life. It's not 91% of your life, and you get to keep the other two. That's your carnal part. Okay, here's I, This is the Lord's, and this is the carnal part. In the body of Christ, there's not supposed to be any carnal part. That's the part that's being transformed every day by the renewing of your mind. Got it? You see, it's so important for us to understand this because the last things to go are rather an indicator of the things that kind of have some control on us. And you can see this in your own experience as you came to Christ. You know, initially, we, we, we kind of call that, that it's like the photo bomb. You know, all of a sudden, everything's in the picture. You know, all your friends are standing in the background making all kinds of... When you first get saved, that's the way it is. All of a sudden, man, everything's changing. You know, you used to be a doper. You're not a doper anymore. You're in a bad relationship. You got out of that. You, you, you used to steal and lie and cheat. And you did all these other things. But I can tell you one of the last things to go in the body of Christ... It's God's control over our finances. And again, it's a heart issue. It's not just an issue, well, you know, they're just after money. No, it's, it's is Jesus the Lord of my finances? Because that's part of your walk. And it is the way that we meet needs, the way we pay for the church building. It's the way we do all the things that we do in ministry. I, I know you probably know this was chairs you're sitting. They weren't free. This building, we didn't, somebody didn't donate this building to us. We had to buy it. That trailer is just left with all the goodies in it for Mammoth. That belongs to this church. The missionaries we have in the field, which there's over a dozen of them that we support on a monthly basis, that's where it comes from. That's what happens. When we do the outreach to the homeless ministry, some, some of the money from this church goes with Robert and Kim to, to help pay for that. That's how we minister in the various areas that God's called us to minister. And so it's a very important part of the outreach ministry of the body of Christ. It's not meant to be stored up so we can sit here and, you know, wow, look, you know, we got this big pile of money sitting here. We're supposed to bring it in and send it out for God's purposes. Nobody gets rich. Nobody is wealthy. We do what God wants us to do. So in that context, it's a hard issue. What are we going to do? Because we can do next to nothing, or we can do a whole bunch of stuff. And thank you and praise Jesus that for this church, I can say we're doing a whole bunch of stuff. Hallelujah. A whole bunch of stuff. Well beyond 
those national averages of what a church our size should be able to do. We do. Because God's good, and his people, in that goodness, are faithful. There was a certain rich man, the story begins, who had a steward. Rich man is gone, steward, you and me, people in general. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. You're going to see several principles in this story. It's important to keep them all together. As we always say, context is everything. You need to make sure to lay hold of all the principles all at once. Then you get the whole picture. And so he called and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be a steward. Now, as the body of Christ, let me just give you a little preface. We own nothing. Nothing is ours. We are stewards of everything that's in our possession. We own nothing. What we call our cars, our home, our houses, our bank accounts are actually not ours. They're God's. They belong to him. All of it. Your Bible says that very plainly. The sheep, the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and silver in every mine, the earth and the fullness thereof is the Lord's. It all belongs to him. Now, praise God, he has given us stewardship over some of his stuff. Do you understand? He, he says here, Jeff, this is, this is some things. And you're going to watch over these things while you're on this earth. And I want you to be a faithful steward. You see, because we in our American mindset think of ownership. We think of possessing possessions. That's how we process stuff. We think of, this is mine. You ever want to see this? Go to a kindergarten class. It's mine. Don't touch my stuff. And it gets down to the cookie. It's my cookie. It's how we think. There's never been a nation more obsessed with money than our own. Never in the course of human history has there ever been a nation more obsessed. Now, in saying that, there is nothing wrong with having a whole boatload of possessions. And there's nothing wrong with having stewardship over buckets of money. Absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. But it's still God's stuff. And so if you have a bunch or you have little, it's still God's stuff. That's what stewardship means. It's not yours. It belongs to him. We're supposed to be using all of it for his glory. That's your car, your house, your gasoline, your food, your money, every bit of it. He says, look. I want you to give an account. And then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? This is introspection. He said within himself. He's looking inside. For my master is taking my stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. It appears that he had made a covenant with this master. The master was given him stewardship over these things. And the result would be, if he did not fulfill the stewardship of watching over the master's stuff in a way that was pleasing to the master, that the net result was he would lose that and he would have to go out in the fields and and dig. 
He says, I can't. I don't know. He had a bad back. I don't know. But he couldn't dig. And I am ashamed to beg. He says, my other option is, I just walk away and I go beg on the street corner. And we all know what that's like. You, you can see down by Walmart every single day, right in front of the signs that says, no panhandling. People standing out there with their hand out. It was very similar during that day and time. Matter of fact, there was far more of them because it was a subsistence way of living. And so I have resolved what to do. So he thinks in his mind that when I'm put out of the stewardship, in other words, when God takes the stuff away, that they may receive me into their houses. You see, he does want to be homeless. Very few people wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm so glad I'm homeless. I just, I just can't wait to be completely destitute and poor. Nobody thinks that way. But there's a principle here. What we do with what we have directly bears on what we ultimately get. What we do with what we have directly bears on what we will ultimately get or have. God will not give you more until you've been faithful with the little. Know this. God is not going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise and give you everything you want until you have proven to him that you're going to be a faithful steward. And I have seen tons of people with tons of things in their trust that have been unfaithful, and what God does is let the course of events play out, and they end up ultimately with nothing. And it may happen a month from now, a year from now. It will surely happen the day you take your last breath. And that is the focus here. It's eternal. And so he said, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him. Now notice the control he has over the situation. This is the steward who's been unfaithful, the unjust steward, as many of you know this particular story. Called the master's debtors to him. This is also the master's money. He said, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And so he said to him, take your bill, sit down, and write quickly 50. You see how he's kind of being a little shrewd here? He's endearing himself to the people who were previously under him. And he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And so the master commended, notice this, commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And so it begins with this little story that I think has a central point to it. Money is either going to be a blessing in your life or it is going to be a curse in your life. It is going to be something that drives you absolutely buggy and insane or it is going to be something that is a tremendous area of faith where the Lord just works in your life and you say, yes, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Whatever we have, it's his. And I also want to tell you that I believe, though some would disagree with me, and I'll just tell you that straight up, I don't believe that money in and of itself is evil as some believe. It is attached to the world system, and it's only good here on this earth, amen? I don't care how much of it you have, you ain't taking one cent with you. Okay, when you leave, it stays. That simple. So, at the very best, it's something that's probably neutral and it's attached to this earth. But it has this particular picture of it. 
It is only valuable in how you use it. Amen? How many of you have actually known somebody who originally had a bunch of stuff and through all kinds of ridiculous things lost a bunch of it? Well, you, you know me, so you can say yes, amen. Okay? Bunch of money, know exactly what it's like to, to be in the business world and watch it all evaporate right before your eyes. That's why 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice the difference between saying money is evil in that passage. And for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Why do I quote that verse to you? Because it's clearly not saying that money itself is necessarily evil. It is the love of money, the worship of money, the putting money first instead of God first that will cause you all kinds of trouble. Because I don't care how much money you have, if you don't have the Lord, you don't have enough money. Okay? Don't care how much you have, but you ain't got enough to pay for what the Lord does by grace and through faith in your life. You don't have enough. There is no such thing. So the value of money is based on who it belongs to. And in this case, the steward's portfolio, our portfolio, should be heavenly oriented. In other words, we look at it and say, look, God, it's yours. And whatever you want to do with it, that's what I want to do with it. And so it gives me a heavenly outlook towards that money. So I want to give you a few things from this before we move on. This is a difficult story because it kind of sounds like he's getting rewarded for doing something that's a little underhanded, amen? And and in some degree, uh, there is some truth to that understanding of part of this passage. But he's not being rewarded for evil. The world is shrewd. And he's simply showing the shrewdness of this guy being at least equivalent. You know, and here's the picture for us as the body of Christ before we move on. We ought to at least do as good as the people in the world. Amen? People in the world know how to manage money. People in the world know what to do with it to make more money. People in the world know how to leverage money in the proper way so that there are things that they ultimately, they think, have that they got because they were good with the money they have. They were good with the time that they have. It bugs me to no end to see the body of Christ do a poorer job in business, in constructing, all these types of things that we have that are parts of our lives and our ministries, we're not as good at it as the world. That's a shame. We need to be excellent in all that we do. And so here we have a very difficult story. This guy was crafty, but he was also lost. (laughs) Let's not lose sight of that particular part of the situation. And so when you think about it, this this was an earthly perspective, and that was part of the problems, what Jesus is trying to show us here. This guy had a focus on taking care of just the next couple of days instead of taking care of eternity. And we need to be looking at eternity and all of the things that, that we're faced with in life, especially our finances. And so as we look at this passage in some detail, 
Notice he says, look, I, I'm ashamed. I, I can't dig. I can't do these things. So there is some, there's some heart issue going on here. He's looking at us like, man, maybe I should have done things a little differently. So I think there is a level of repentance in this story of this man. And I want to tell you that this, this word that's translated here, uh, wasting or squandering or, or having misappropriated or, or not used properly is exactly the same word that's used in the life of the prodigal son, that he wasted his substance. And so it's clear here that is we're looking at the things that God wants to do with us if we're either looking at it from the world's perspective or from heaven's perspective. It's fairly simple. I want to encourage you to look at it from heaven's perspective. Because the world doesn't have anything to offer. It's not that we need to pull ourselves out. And, you know, I talk to people all the time about, you know, their retirement and all those kind of things. You know, it's like we got this going on and that. Because those things are inherently evil, so please don't think so. But whatever it is that you're planning on doing, you need to consider God in the plans. All of it, including your financial planning. The things that the Lord's entrusted to you. Because it matters eternally. You may have an opportunity to do some eternal good with the possessions that have been entrusted to you. Don't miss that opportunity. And I know to some degree I'm preaching to the choir, to many of you. Because you are faithful. And you are doing eternal things with the resources that God's entrusted to you. But notice how this guy kind of took stock of all these things. He calls me, says the first one replies, ah, I got oh, 100 measure, measures of oil. Well, here's a discount. I owe 100 measures. Well, here's a discount. And basically what he was saying is, look, I, I want to be attractive to people who are in the world to the degree that they understand that I understand where they walk. You've heard me say frequently and often that pastors ought not live in a substantial way above the congregation that they serve. And I happen to believe that with all of my heart. Our house payment is probably the same as most of yours house payments. The things that we own, we own very similar cars to everyone else in this congregation. We, we don't have a giant pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that's going to be, you know, one day it's like, boom, oh, God's going to, you know, be playing golf or what. That isn't going to happen. But God has taken very good care of my family. But we have also taken good care of his funds. We've been faithful. So the picture is here. Show that to other people. Let them see it. Live it out. When we're thinking of money, we need to have that eternal perspective. Not get caught loving the things of the world. And that's hard to do at times, isn't it? You know, your friend drives up in their brand new car. You look at that new car and you go, yeah, I'd like to have one of those. And again, nothing wrong with having a new car. But is it what God wants? That should be the first thought. Is it what God wants? Now he begins to make some additional statements, and the first part of this is just a a definite statement. Notice the things that he points out here is there's a kind of a threefold application of this story. First, there's the matter of money. 
And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, (laughs) they may receive you into an everlasting home. You see, there's no plan on this earth, no plan on this earth that ultimately is going to cheat death. Amen? Everybody got that? No matter how much saving you do, how much storing up in whatever kind of funds you do, how many rental homes you have, and again, nothing wrong with any of those things, but no matter how much of that you do, one day you're going to go, and be dead. I don't know if that'll exactly how it's going to happen, but something like that. You're going to take a last breath and gone. And so how many people are going to be in heaven because of what you did with your money? How many people will be directly affected for the cause of Christ because you sent them on their first missionary trip? Because you faithfully gave to the church that you attend? Because you saw that child in need and said, you know what, I'm adopting that child. I'm going to send in X number of dollars every month, and I'm going to see to it that at least that one child knows that Jesus loves them. How many people are going to be in heaven because you see the need that they have? As James said, how can you say in your heart that you love your brother and yet you see his need and do nothing about it, the NIV says. You see, those are eternal things. And again, it doesn't mean that everyone is called to meet every need. It means that everyone is called to do something. That's all. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Do you see the principle? No matter what you have, you're supposed to be faithful with what you have. If you don't have a lot, be faithful with the little. And he who is unjust, notice how he kind of flips the table here, in what is least is also unjust in much. It's a hard issue. You're going to be the way you actually are with these things. And therefore, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the trust of true riches? In other words, if you're not faithful with your money, why would God entrust somebody's heart to you? Can I give you a little secret? One of the things that we do look at, and I have no idea who gives what in this church. You guys need to know that. I don't know. I have no idea. Don't want to know and will not know. Don't know. You write out a check for a million dollars today, I'm not going to know. So I'm just going to know at the end of the month, wow, that's a lot of money. That's it. I get a financial report. That's it. Just as a total amount. Not so we can do business the way we ought to do business with the church. So that the board members can look at it and go, oh, God paid all of our bills and then some. Thank you, Jesus. Took care of all of our missionaries and then some. Thank you, Jesus. But here's the deal. If you want to go into ministry, let me give you a couple secrets. You need to be faithful. And you absolutely need to be faithful with your money. Because why would God entrust the hearts of people which are far more valuable than any stupid thing with Benjamin Franklin's face on it? Why would God entrust the souls of people to you if he can't trust you with money? Which perishes. Which stays here. So what he's saying is, money's not as important as people. So I'm not going to entrust people to you until you're faithful with money. 
things, possessions. And if you've not been faithful with what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Why would God give you more than you need if you haven't been faithful with what you already have? These are tough things. No servant can serve two masters. Now notice how straight to the chase he gets here. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other. And the picture here is money and people, basically. You can't serve yourself. You can't do all this other stuff. Well, unless you love God first. Hate the one, love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other, for you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, you can't have money out of priority in your life. And boy, does this nation have money out of priority in its life. Amen? Right, we can say amen to that. Most people have a little bit of issue. You need to see that. Go to Costco. All you get, One trip to Costco will solve this issue for you. You watch the people, you know, they're going to have to get bigger carts if the big flat screens get any larger. It's like there's 194-inch, you know, flat screen TV, and you drive down, and it's like there's a 640-pack of everything that you don't need. It's like we're obsessed with more of everything. And again, not picking on anybody. We all need food. We need shelter. We need clothes. There's nothing wrong with having any of it. There's nothing wrong with even having an abundance. But if you have an abundance, it's so that you can give. It's not so you can keep. If God's given you abundantly, you're supposed to give abundantly. That's the principle because that's his heart towards people. And you can see it on the cross. Amen? What did Jesus hold back on the cross? Nothing. Zero. It's a heart issue. So for us... It's like, oh, I can give my time. Oh, I can come in like every other year and vacuum. I'm just being facetious. Lighten up, okay? Told you, it's not an easy subject to talk about as a pastor, so I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit. It's easy to do those kind of things. You know what's hard? Is to faithfully look at your finances and go, this all belongs to God. What am I going to do with it? For God, not for me. Because when I look at my bank account, I, I'm tempted. Look at that. We, it's a nice guitar. These aren't free, by the way. you got to pay for those. We look at things, we go, ah, I mean, but we need to be praying, Lord, is that what you want for me? That old sticker that used to float around, the one with the most toys wins. You just put nothing after the end of it. <laughs> you have a lot of bills. Yeah, you win that. A lot of responsibility. Yep, you got that. It's a hard issue. It's like, Lord, what do you want to do with this money? You'd be surprised what God will tell you to do sometimes. It may not make any sense to you at times. You're like, oh, no, not that. I've had some just really funny experiences. I had a lady come in. She had just gotten her tax return back, and she wanted wanted to know if she could give it to the church. And I said, sure. And she says, you know, it's a lot of money, right? I said, I don't care. 
And she looked at me dumbfounded, like I was supposed to, you know, ask her how much, and you know what. And I just said, it's between you and God. And she looked at me, she says, you know, you're the first pastor that's ever told me that. The church I used to go to had a top 20 givers list posted, posted in the lobby. So if you're looking for that, go to another church. Isn't happening. But it was, you're just sitting there, you're going, to what end? It's God's money. It was all his at the start of the day. It's going to be all his at the end of the day. What are you going to do with it during the day? It's pretty simple. So first thing is the matter of money. Whose is it? (laughs) Look, it's God's. The second thing that we see here, it's a matter of management. Verse 10, that he who is faithful with the least is also faithful with much. He's stating a principle here that we have to settle in the larger issue. There is an unseen spiritual world that includes all of those who love the Lord and all of those who don't. Are we drawing people into the kingdom by what we do with what he's given us stewardship over? That's the question. Does what we do with our fiscal resources draw people towards Jesus or does it repel people away from Jesus? It's a management issue. Now I can tell you this. Very few things turn people away from the church, and you have all heard this argument. I'm not giving to the church, because you know what? All it does, a pastor buys a new house. Anybody heard that one? I have. I've had it said to me. Well, you live in Enchanted Forest. Yep, I do. Did you see the house when the raccoons lived in it? (laughs) Bet you I paid less for it than you did, because I was a shrewd steward. So was my wife. It's a bad house, nice neighborhood. We'll make it a nice house in a nice neighborhood. Good idea. But people say those kind of things. It's still God's. Belongs to Him. You see, money is never the answer because it's always a temporary benefit. And so what he's saying here is money or treasure, if you want to call it that, or even your possessions, if you want to call it that, are basically given to us kind of on a probation period. And our stuff is really not our stuff. It's still God's stuff. So if you look at it from that specific place, it does a couple of things for you. And I want to begin to wrap this up. The reality of this principle, that everything is God's, It prevents the pride of ownership. Any of you ever bought something because you were concerned about how it would look when other people saw it? It's okay. Raise your hands. Probably all of us have. Nobody goes out, you know, I'm going to look for the biggest beater car I can find. (laughs) Nobody goes into, you know, boy, I hope I can really find a slum to live in. No, we don't. And and very often it's because we're concerned about what other people will think about what we have invested our time in and our money in and our life in because we associate stuff with life. And we're not supposed to. Stuff is not life. Again, nothing wrong with having wonderful things. 
The reason I'm repeating that is a lot of people jump from one to the other. Oh, well, I've got my, I need to, oh, you know, I must be in sin. I've actually had people come to me. You know, I'm doing really good. I feel terrible about it. In Jesus' name, do not do that. <laughs> Just be a cheerful giver and, and bless people. It's pretty simple. But see, the pride of ownership issue has to be settled. And if it's still God's, the pride of ownership issue is settled. It belongs to God. And the second thing it does is it guarantees the freedom of dependence. And that sounds almost like an oxymoron. Let me explain it to you. We need God. Amen? So if we have so much stuff, if we're so well off that we lose sight of the God that gave us everything we have, are we actually better off? And the answer is no. I can tell you what it's like to have a lot of stuff. And it doesn't satisfy. It just gives you a greater level of responsibility. And ultimately, you can live your life trying to maintain and hang on to the stuff. And before you know it, you're useless to God. And so it keeps you dependent on Him. Now, you may say to you, well, I don't like being dependent. Guys, let's face it. We hate asking for anything. Amen? Say amen, man. We do. We hate... Somebody's in here and somebody's got a need. Well, let me help. You know, and we get out our wallets and we pull it out. Oh, let me help. No, let me help you. You go to the dinner table at a restaurant. What do you do? You scrap over who's going to pay for it, right? That's a remnant of it's not our stuff. It's God's stuff. It's like, well, you know, oh, here, let me uh, you pull it out and you take out your 20s, you know. And the other guy takes out his 50s and then somebody pulls out a hun. We want to be dependent on God. I want to share with you just a little story. It's a true story, and I happen to know both the people involved in it. I've altered it slightly to protect both the innocent and the guilty. Two boys that were roommates in Bible college became great friends. And because of the restrictive rule at that rules at that Bible college, one went to a secular school, the other one finished Bible school, Bible college, became a pastor. One got an MBA in business, became very, very, very wealthy. And one summer, the one who became a pastor was on a driving vacation uh, by himself, was heading out to meet a friend, and he happened to run into the hometown of this former friend from his Bible college days. He stopped in. Asked if he could meet with him. They went to have lunch. And it went something like this. He asked him, so how are you and God doing? Not one word was said about him and God. Because the truth of the matter is, he wasn't walking with the Lord. But he did look at his friend and looked up from his plate. He says, oh, I've got the bill. First words out of his mouth. He says, I have a Cadillac in the parking lot. I've got a Mercedes. I've got a Jaguar at home. I've got a really nice house here that's worth about a million bucks. I've got another house on the beach that's worth about a million bucks. And then I've got my cabin. It's only worth half a million dollars. I got more than a million dollars in cash. Got government bonds. Why do I need God? 
One year later, actually a little less than a year later, that man was dead from cancer. Every single thing he had, gone that fast. Went to pay off all the debt on all that stuff that he thought he owned. That he said was his. Nothing was left over for his two wives and his four children. Nothing. The years of living, the years of utter dependence on no one but himself, left him without the capacity to help anyone ever see Jesus. The pastor, on the other hand, to this day, pastors a wonderful fellowship, and thousands have come to Christ. Long and short of it, folks, we have very limited control over anything in life. Very, very limited control. Sometimes we think, ah, it's going to go like this, or it's going to go like that. And probably almost everybody in here, I would ask you to give a show of hands. Probably everybody's in here has had something happen to them that you did not expect, amen? You know, some financial thing, some practical thing. How Do cars ever blow up when it's convenient? No, they blow up when your bank account's near zero, right? And then they need they blow up and then you need tires. Because you've got to fix the car that's blown up to put the tires on it that you can't afford. So we all go through stuff. We can't control that stuff. The truth of the matter is, we don't control anything. If there wasn't a sovereign God with his hand on your life, we'd all be in trouble. But there is a sovereign God. And so it comes down to an issue of masters. Very simple, very powerful. Whose is it? Is it yours or is it God's? If it's God's, then you treat it like it's God's. You do with it as the Lord would have you do. That means that we give. We give generously. That means that we see a need, we do something about it. That means if you've got an extra car and somebody needs it, you let them borrow it. <gasps> it's an issue of mastery. Is it yours or is it God's? If it's God's, he just simply asks us to be good stewards. Use it for eternal things, things that matter. As this passage closes, you can see exactly why Jesus spoke these words. Verse 14. And now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, laughed their brains out. They heard all these things and they derided him. Oh, sure, yeah, a poor peasant wandering around through the hills. Yeah, listen to him about money matters. A guy who's got no retirement, talk to him about what you should do with your money. Have you seen his portfolio? Goose egg. They're looking at Jesus going, really? 
Are you serious? People find out that you're handling your money in a biblical way, that you're giving, you're tithing, you support missionaries, support some child someplace, you give to Operation Christmas Child, you're worried about homeless people, and you actually do, well, I wouldn't, that's pearls before swine, man. I'm not going to help that guy out. After all, he's a crackhead. That's why he's on the corner. When people hear that, very often they have something derogatory to say. Well, you're just being an idiot. You're going to give money to that church? Why are you doing that? Because it's God's money. Not just the tithe, not 10%. 100% of it is God's. As Pastor Chuck wisely said, if you can't live on 90% of what God has given you stewardship over, you won't live on 150% of what God's given you stewardship over. If you can't do it in a way that's pleasing to Him, then you won't do it in a way that's not pleasing to Him. Because He's the one that guides and provides. Amen? Don't think it's strange if the world says, ah, I don't need to do that. Do what Malachi 3 says, test him in it. See if it's not true. Because he's going to prove to you that he means what he says, says what he means. And when you are the cheerful givers that God's called you to be, you're not even going to know what to do with all the blessings. And if something comes your way that you didn't expect, you have God's promise that it's his problem, not yours. So no matter what happens, he's got it under control. It's a hard thing for us to live that way. You know why? It requires faith. It's a lot easier to trust in a fat bank account, isn't it? And yet, how many people who trust in a fat bank account end up with nothing to trust in? So a little secret? Trust God in the first place and watch him do what only God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your blessings. And we pray, God, that as we think on the stewardship that you've given us, we pray that you would just encourage us, Lord, to use the things that you've entrusted into our hands in a purpose for eternity. God, that we would just be in tune with you. And so, Lord, in our giving, Lord, in our support of causes, Lord, even in our homes, in our cars, in our bank accounts, in our cupboards, our pantries, Lord, all the things that you've given us, Lord, we're so grateful that you've taken such great care of us. Pray that you would bless us, and Lord, as we end worshiping you, as we have the opportunity to give, we pray that it would just be because we love you, because you're master. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.